the tendency to work or the it's really an addiction because the brain fires in the same way. The work itself, the busyness gives you a sense of worth of fulfillment. It's temporary worth, temporary fulfillment, right? A temporary sense of those things. But it gives you that and it triggers those dopamine receptors in your brain. This is Debbie and welcome to another episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditch the norm to become location independent. We'll learn how to create sustainable laptop lifestyles from the experts that will help us achieve freedom from our nine to five. Hey friend, are you looking to land a remote gig ASAP? Well, did you know that we not only have a ton of online jobs you can apply to on our site, but now we are also sending them straight to your inbox. I'm happy to announce that we will be sending our email subscribers legit online jobs every Wednesday. We have done hours of research so you don't have to. If you want to be the first one to hear about the remote gigs we find, go to theoffbeatlife.com to subscribe. On this episode, I speak with Courtney, who is the CEO of The Effortless Life, where every year she helps hundreds of entrepreneurs simplify and scale their businesses using a proven new approach to work smarter, not harder. Courtney developed The Effortless Life method to help struggling entrepreneurs understand why stress, overwhelm, and burnout happen even when they're pursuing their passions. So listen on to find out how Courtney helps hundreds of entrepreneurs as an online business coach. Hey everyone, thank you so much for being here. I am really excited to speak with my guest today, Courtney. Hey Courtney, how are you? Hey Debbie, I am great. How about you? I'm excited to be here. I'm wonderful. Thank you so much. Can you tell us about you and why you live an offbeat life? Yes. So when I was 25 years old, I was diagnosed with cancer. And that was a moment in my life where it put things into perspective. Prior to that, I was working in the corporate world, nine to five, and really had developed the habit of overworking, overworking myself, you know, bringing work home at nights, working on the weekends, doing everything that I thought was necessary to climb that corporate ladder as fast as possible so I could have the success and ultimately the freedom that I wanted in my life and in my business to be able to travel, to be able to just, you know, live my life and enjoy it without having to work so hard. But the problem was that day never came. And at 25, it was just a very eye-opening moment for me where I recognized that all of the success that I had experienced in my life to that point had come at a huge cost which was the cost of my relationships, my health, my mental health, my sanity, you know, all of those things that truly mattered is and that's what it had cost me. And so I recognized in that moment that I needed to make some changes and I didn't really know where to start. I didn't really know what to do first, but I knew that you know, working that 9 to 5 and then some <laughs> lifestyle was not for me. And so from that point forward, I started making shifts and really just in my own life, looking to heal myself from the inside out, looking to just, you know, become a, a more, um, a better version of myself and to also detach from my identity at, as work, as like just a workaholic, because that was really what I had become. And so in that process, I recognized that, gosh, I really could help a lot of people who are experiencing the same thing. You know, we live in a culture that's just rise and grind and hustle, hustle, hustle all day, and you got to work hard to be successful. And recognizing that, you know, people were really burning out 
on the path to their dreams and having to even close the door to their dreams because, you know, their body, their, their mental health could not handle the pursuit, the relentless pursuit of those dreams. And so that's when, you know, back in 2017, I decided, you know, hey, I'm just going to put this out there and help people who need help in this area and started coaching people, business owners, freelancers, entrepreneurs, those who had experienced this similar path or similar journey as I had in, you know, maybe it wasn't cancer, but just reaching a, a wall in their business where they burnt out and coaching them beyond that so they could go on to build successful businesses and have the freedom and the impact that they truly want. And that has evolved into what we do now today, which is run a brand called The Effortless Life, which is all about that, helping people simplify and streamline their work so that they can get out there and do the thing they've been put here on this earth to do. With your story, Courtney, it's, and I hear this and I've felt this myself as well. It's sometimes it's unfortunate that it has to take us to the low point for us to realize that we can't do everything or not that we can't, but we shouldn't. Right. And it does take a toll on your body when you put that much stress on you and it starts to to surface in different ways, whether it's with your relationships, whether it's with your health and it's a blessing in the sky sometimes. And those things happen as long as you learn from it and then you turn it around and it changes your whole life completely. A hundred percent. I have nothing but gratitude looking back on that. You know, when people ask me all the time, my gosh, what was it like to be diagnosed with cancer and you're 25? And I actually found out two days after we got home from our honeymoon. So I had just gotten married and you know, really had my whole life ahead of me. And I, my heart has n- is full of nothing but gratitude for, for that happening because I hate to think of where I would be today if it hadn't. You know, how much worse off I would be in the consequences that I would have experienced of my overworking and just, you know, inability to, to detach and focus on the, important, the more important things in life. I think also, especially here in the United States, we're often taught that we have to really focus on our earnings, right? What we're earning, we need to have a specific amount every single month, every year in order to feel like we're stable enough to be happy. And I think a lot of our happiness is really measured by what you're earning and it gives you so much stress, right? And then you being diagnosed with cancer right after you just got married and then you're thinking to yourself, what am I doing with my life? And just reevaluating that because there's so much more. Obviously creating income is important, but there also has to be a balance between all of that. Yes. And you know what's so interesting is you're absolutely right. Like in our culture, especially here in the US and in the Western world, like we measure our success, our worth, our happiness, our value on honestly really superficial things. And like, you know, you have a great point. Yeah, you need money, right? We need income. You got to have a roof over your head. You want to have food on your table. All of those things. You want to meet your basic needs and maybe have a little extra there so you can save and, you know, put towards other things that really, you know, mean something to you. But we have to evaluate the yardstick that we are using to measure our happiness and our success and our worth. And what most people make the mistake of doing is measuring it by what they're earning or measuring it by the neighborhood they live in or how big of a house they have or what cars they're driving. Or what I see a lot and what our clients and students struggle with a lot is measuring it by how much they're working. 
because in their mind, they've adopted this belief or this story that the more they work or the harder they work, the more worthy they are. And so they begin to wear their busyness as a badge of honor. It becomes kind of a sense of of pride, right? Look at me. Look how hard I'm working. Therefore, I must be worthy. And that's, you know, when it comes to eliminating stress and overwhelm and anxiety from your life, it's not about implementing some stress management practices or doing a better job at self-care. It really boils down to these deeper root causes underneath why the stress is happening, why the overwhelm is happening. And certainly if you're running your business or living your life, telling yourself a story that I'm only worth as much as I work, then you'll be constantly seeking that worth, that approval with more work. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a New Yorker and every time you talk to any New Yorker here, what they're doing, it's always, I'm busy working, you know? I'm hustling, I'm doing all of these things because like you said, when you're not doing any of those things that are keeping you busy, you feel like you are worthless. And there's a sense of guilt when you're actually not doing enough or you're not good. You're not good as the other person who's doing more than you. And also coming from me and my family who's immigrant and I'm an immigrant, like we're always taught to be busy. We are always taught to work as hard as you can. And it's a hard shift, right, Courtney? It's a hard shift to take yourself away from that type of mentality to actually working smarter, not harder. Yes. And I would venture to say it is a lifelong process because the pull will always be there. And just like any addiction, you know, you think of alcohol addiction or drug addiction or any addiction, the tendency to work or the, it's really an addiction because the brain fires in the same way. The work itself, the busyness gives you a sense of worth of fulfillment. It's temporary worth, temporary fulfillment, right? A temporary sense of those things. But it gives you that and it triggers those dopamine receptors in your brain. What happens though is that once your brain becomes used to having that certain level of dopamine all the time, which is the feel-good chemical, it's the happiness chemical, right? It's that positive uh, feel-good sense. Well, you need more of it. Your brain needs more of it because it gets used to having that particular level of it in your body. And so the way that you increase the dopamine is to work more. It's very interesting. And a lot of people don't realize that's actually what's going on on a biological level. And you're so right about the guilt for not doing enough, you know, and I can remember that. My goodness, I used to come home at the end of a long day full of meetings and full of just everything that had gone on in that day. I felt like I was constantly putting out fires. And I would come home and open my laptop and check email and spend, you know, the next three hours on my laptop before going to bed at night. And my husband could come home and he would just completely unplug. He would lay on the couch. He'd watch Netflix. And I remember thinking to myself on two things. One, I resented him for being able to unplug (laughs) like that because I couldn't. And then number two, I thought, that's so lazy. Like you should be working. This is, it's terrible, but it was really the thought that went through my mind. And I think, you know, what's so interesting is that from a young age, yes, we are taught to be busy. We are taught that, you know, if we're just sitting around doing nothing, then you're being lazy, right? And so we don't want to equate ourselves with being lazy because we have unknowingly labeled lazy as bad. When you start to apply labels to things like that, like, you know, being productive is good, being 
lazy is bad, then you really get into some tricky spots because then everything becomes black or white and you box yourself in without realizing it. And so, you know, if you're working, good. If you're not working, bad. And so therefore, because as from a young age, right, we were taught to be good. We're, we don't want to be bad. So we work. And it's so fascinating how all of this works, you know, and it really, it all ties in from a psychological level, a biological level, and creates this experience or this environment that we find ourselves in in our lives sometimes where it's like, I'm working so hard, but what for? And even when we recognize that and want to work less or want to unplug or want to figure out how to work smarter, not harder, and what that even means, it's really difficult to do so if you don't recognize, you know, all of this that that goes into it and why the tendency to work is there in the first place. You definitely have to teach yourself to wind down, especially when you're working for yourself. You have your own company because it's really hard to just put anything down. It's really hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because so much and and I experienced this in my transition to entrepreneurship which was I thought I was escaping the corporate life and that being an entrepreneur, I'd have the freedom that I finally wanted. I didn't have to show up at the office every day. I didn't have to go in and answer to somebody else. I could be my own boss, right? But then I recognized how much harder that is in the sense of, well, suddenly everything is riding on your shoulders. And if you don't do it, then it's not going to get done, right? And we see this a lot this is really common with entrepreneurs and freelancers and that experience of, oh my goodness, the pressure, the urgency to get things checked off the list because if not, then what? The business might fail or it won't be successful or you you would take longer to make the profit you're hoping to make. Absolutely. And it just takes some organization, I think. And again, working smarter, not harder is the way to go. And I tell people all the time, and I'm definitely a lazy entrepreneur, and that actually makes you more innovative and it take, makes you think outside of the box when you're trying to do less but still earn mo- like the same or more than what you're already currently making to be able to do that. So I think, I don't know, I feel like it's the way to go when, you, when you're when you a lazy entrepreneur in that sense. But I love that. I even love like, how you, like, yeah, I just own it. I'm a lazy entrepreneur. Yeah. That's great. My own mentor who I work with closely and have trained with over the years, he says, he's like, you know, the less I do, the more I make. Yeah. And that's a really hard concept to wrap your mind around because in our culture and our world, it's the opposite. The more I do, the more I make, right? And so, but when you really begin to get that, when you really begin to understand that the less time you spend on the busy work or on the work that doesn't really move the needle in your business, and the more time you spend on the higher payoff activities, the less you have to work because you're focused on the things that actually bring in revenue, that bring in income, and not so bogged down by all the busy work all the time that doesn't actually make you money. You know, creating a really fancy, nice-looking PDF, great. It might look nice for your brand. You know, yeah, you need a lead magnet maybe to get some people on your email list. But if, you know, your hourly rate is more than it would cost you to hire someone from Fiverr or Upwork or wherever to create that PDF for you, then really you're shooting yourself in the foot and, and, and you become the bottleneck in your own business because you're not able to really break out of that cycle to be, to start profiting. 
Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with you on that one. And that's a lot to take for entrepreneurs, new and seasoned ones, because I think there's mentalities there that you know, that a lot of people still think that if I don't have my hand in it, it's not going to be perfect. But I can just say this from personal experience. It's never going to be the same like the way you're going to do it. But sometimes it's actually better, you know, results than what you're going to get than if you're just doing it on your own. So true. You know, what's interesting too, is if, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs never consider this, like when you're working for somebody else, you have an hourly wage, an hourly rate for the most part, or even if you're salaried, you can calculate out based on the number of hours you're working, you know, approximately what your hourly rate is. But most entrepreneurs don't take the time to calculate that out. And so a really easy way to do this is just to think of a number in your mind right now that you think is your hourly rate, you know, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is, and multiply that by the number 2,080, so 2080, because that is the amount of working hours in a year. And what you'll find is that the number that you get is your annual revenue working at that rate or what should be your annual revenue. But what most people say, and just say, for example, you know, oh, you're working $50 an hour. Okay. Calculated by 2080. What does that come out to be? And the answer is, hold on, I'm doing this calculation right now as we speak, $104,000. But let's say that you want to have a quarter of a million dollar business next year, or you want your annual revenue to be half a million dollars, right? It's not going to cut it if you're working and doing all the spending all of those working hours that you have doing $50 an hour tasks. Mm -hmm. And so if you can then say, okay, well, you reverse engineer it and say, I want to have a $500,000 business, you know, profiting, and then you divide that by 2080, then your hourly rate really is right around $240, which means that you should be valuing your time as if every hour is worth $240. Yeah. And then to take a look at what is it costing me if I sit here and create this PDF versus hiring someone to do it, you know, for 40 bucks on Fiverr and really getting present to the fact that the more time you spend doing tasks that are, you know, $10 an hour, $20 an hour, $30 an hour tasks the longer it will take you to see that profit in your business. And so that can be really powerful when you just sit down and run the numbers and do some simple math to see, okay, well, this is where I want my business to be. Therefore, this is what my hourly rate needs to be. Therefore, I need to be focusing my time on only tasks and projects and things that will bring in that revenue, right? You're the only one who can record a podcast. You're the only one who can show up on that webinar or sit there on a coaching call with a client or whatever it is, right? Design that website. But maybe there's somebody else that can take care of creating your lead magnet for you or editing your podcast episodes or emailing your client to let them know the first draft of their website is ready for review. And so the more we begin to value our time, the more we begin to recognize, yeah, the less I do, the more I make. Yeah. And I think that's a really great way to put it because most people don't really sit down and write down what it is that they need to do in order to achieve those goals and really put down in numbers because I think we're most of us are really afraid of that, you know, because yeah. then it 
tells us and it shows us the reality of what we actually need to do. And for a long time, that's definitely happened to me. So I'm pretty sure many people are feeling the same way. <laughs> yes. Oh, me too. I did this for years, right? And it was always a story of, oh, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at numbers. So mm-hmm. I would just avoid it. <laughs> and it was like, it got to a point one day where I'm like, okay, I really need to sit down and pay attention to these numbers because that's the way you track your progress is by your profit. Yeah. And it's really an important concept to realize. You'll learn to love it once you start actually making that money. You know, it's it's good. It's good. Yes. You'll see it start rising. So when you were diagnosed with cancer, Courtney, and you knew that you had to make that change with, you know, your business life, how did you prepare to make that big change to be this effortless CEO that you are now? That's such a great question because to be 100% transparent, the only thing I could think about when I was going through surgery and radiation and treatment and all those months of recovery was getting back to work. And I knew I didn't want to go back to a nine to five, but I still felt the pull and the need to be working because at that point in my life, it was still offering that temporary sense of fulfillment for me. And without work, I didn't know who I was. And so I didn't create necessarily a big old business plan to say, okay, this is my plan and this is where we're going. This is what the business is going to look like. And here's the corporate structure. And this is what we're going to create. It was really more of an evolution that started with, you know, my own journey healing. And then also recognizing just how much my identity was wrapped up in my work. And so you could even say I had an identity crisis at 25 because that's when I realized like, who am I without my work? And that was a very scary thought. And so the first thing I did was I hired a business coach who was also a life coach in the sense that she worked with me not only to to set up my business and to create, you know, my brand as it was then at the time, but to also begin to notice and to rediscover who I truly was and the gifts that I had to offer to the world. And so from there, that just gave me clarity on the next steps forward. I never had the whole plan figured out. I still don't. But I take so much peace and just joy in the fact that I don't have to have it all figured out. I just need to know the next few steps. And so that is really how I have grown my brand and operated this business for the past almost four years now, just focusing on, okay, what's my next required action? And maybe some people would say, that's foolish. You need to have a plan. And sure, we set quarterly goals. You know, we know where we're headed, we want where we want to be a year from now, three years from now. But I'm not mapping it all out to a T, if that makes sense. I'm just taking the next few steps that I know will get me closer to those goals. And that's really good too, because you can't always be rigid in terms of your business because you know, for example, a huge example is 2020. Who knew that everything like this was going to happen? And we all had to make changes with our business. And if you were so set on that specific goal, it's going to be really hard for you to switch things around. So there's a lot of things that always happens that are unexpected that you have to really brainstorm and think your way out of it. (laughs) Yes. And just like we were talking about before we hit record, it's an opportunity to get creative in a way that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. You know, you said that and I loved that so much because it is so true. And I think, you know, one of the things that gets us in trouble is when we 
set our expectations and set ourselves on a particular goal. And in a sense, we might not consciously say this to ourselves, but in a non-conscious way, we'll say, this has to happen or else. And we make it so, we make our business so dependent on whether or not we achieve that goal. And then if we don't achieve it, we make it mean all sorts of things about us that it doesn't necessarily mean. And that can really get you in a danger zone because that is where, you know, you begin to lead your business from emotion rather than logic and what the data is telling you and what the numbers are telling you. And you don't have to be good at numbers to know how much cash flow is coming in versus how much is going out. You could do a simple calculation to figure that out. And so that's what we have to really become aware of is that even when you set goals, you have to remain non-attached to the outcome. That's a lot easier said than done. (laughs) It's something I'm still working on. But I've gotten so much better at it over the years simply by recognizing that you can't be attached to the outcome. Because even in our language, the word need implies a lack. I need this because I don't have it. Mm. And that can create, and we can get into kind of the psychology of it here, but that creates an emotional state in your body and an energy of desperation in a sense. I need this to happen. And if it doesn't, oh my gosh, my business is going to fail, right? We can think in terms of these worst case scenarios. As opposed to saying, I want this to happen. Want implies that it's simply a desire. There's no lack. There's no desperation attached to that. It's just simply, yeah, I really want this goal. But it doesn't mean anything about me if I don't hit it. It doesn't mean my business is going to fail if I don't hit it. And to recognize what you're making it mean whether you hit or don't hit that particular goal. And there's a lot of freedom in that. This is the kind of work that I work with students and clients on very closely. And it's the work that most entrepreneurs aren't doing. And it's the inner work. And it's really slowing down and getting present to what's working in my business, what's not. Where am I feeling that sense of urgency or need or desperation? And where am I really kind of limiting my own opportunities by thinking that way. And it can be very eye-opening when you start to get present to these things and truly learn how to operate from a place of, you know, that logic and reason as opposed to emotion. Absolutely. And most of the time we just put it under the rug because we know we don't want to get there. We're like, I don't know. That's, that's very, you know, I I don't want to feel that way. (laughs) It makes you feel a certain way when that happens, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes. Yep. So how did you make your business into something that can be a location independent? And how did that really change your environment and maybe even your personal relationships, right? Because it's a completely different thing when you have a brick and mortar and when you have something that you can take with you anywhere. Yes. And the beauty of when I started my business, I was doing coaching and primarily doing it online on Zoom calls, on Skype calls, like before that was really even a thing. Now in 2020, it's like, oh, everybody's doing Zoom calls. (laughs) But that was how I primarily met with my clients because a lot of them were not local to me. Most of them I had met online. You know, they had followed me online for a while or just seen my work or they had maybe seen me speak, but I had gone, you know, I had traveled to speak somewhere. And so I didn't live in that area. They didn't live in that area. And so we would meet and collaborate online. And I never had an intention of having an online business, 
And through the years, I've had live components of my business where something does happen, you know, in my hometown and people fly in for that particular event. But the majority of my business is run online. Even though it started out with just coaching calls and and one-on-one meetings, it evolved to, you know, me thinking of how can I leverage this better? And instead of going one-to-one, teaching one-to-many. So that's when I started leading group coaching programs and creating online courses and things like that where, you know, I have an opportunity not only to teach what I know and to help someone, but also to lead them and guide them and coach them. And I could do it all from my laptop, which is awesome. Like we're planning, well, depending on how the next few weeks go with 2020 and if we see another spike in anything, but we're hoping to take a little mini vacation over Thanksgiving and we just got an Airbnb, just go there, come back home. But I can bring my laptop with me. And even though my tendency is not to work on vacation, you know, if there were something that needed my urgent attention, I could open my laptop and take care of it and it'd be done. And that is just, there's so much freedom in that, you know, not being tied to a specific locale where you could really work from anywhere. And it's funny we're talking about this too, because this morning on the news, I saw they were talking of this story of a guy who was working from a Ferris wheel. (laughs) I don't know where it was, but it was like just kind of a nod to 2020 and how crazy this has been, right? So many people are working from anywhere now and everywhere. And it's, it provides so much freedom for me and it's allowed me to have that space to spend more time with my family because I'm not stuck at an office all day long. You know, I could be home and I'm available to pick up my son from school and all of those things that are important to me. And that's really the, the key word that I like to tell people why I do this and you do this and most people who are in this type of lifestyle is freedom. We have so much more freedom with our life and especially our time when we can work from anywhere and when we can work in our own time frame. So it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And it's interesting. I read a statistic the other day that said, entrepreneurs are really a rare breed because for every 100,000 people out there, only 320 of them are entrepreneurial or entrepreneur-minded. And it got me thinking like, gosh, I mean, and you know, for most people listening, I would imagine freedom is one of their top values as well. Like you said, like that's the reason why we do this, right? We want to have that time freedom, that location freedom, just the independence to not have to answer to anybody else and to be our own boss. And yet how many people still have not discovered the freedom in doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll take you some time, you know, but if you're listening to this and you're <laughs> you're taking in everything Courtney's saying, then you're probably a little step closer now. <laughs> yes, at least I hope so anyway, right? <laughs> exactly. So let's fast forward to 50 years from now, Courtney, and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? Oh my goodness. I got chills when you asked that question. <laughs> It's powerful to think about that, right? Because most of us don't think past what's on the tap for today or this weekend or next week. And when I look back, you know, my definition of success really boils down to three things that I can put my head on the pillow at night knowing that I spent time with the people I love first and foremost, because at 25, that wake up call came and I recognized life truly is short. It's not just a cliche. It's just hard to understand until you have had an experience like that. The beauty is you don't need an experience like that to truly wake up to that truth a little more each day. And so knowing that that was how I spent every waking day of my life, that I spent some of that time that I had, time that I couldn't get back with people that I love. Number two, spending a little bit of that time on myself, 
enriching myself, furthering my own knowledge, progressing on my own path of growth. And then number three, that no matter if it was in a big way or a small way, that I reached out and touched someone else's life that day. And whether that was through coaching or through my business or whether it was just a smile at someone at a gas station who looked like they needed a smile that day to reach out and touch someone else's life. And so 50 years from now, looking back, sure, I want to be a household name. I want the effortless life to be a brand, to be a methodology, a lifestyle that people follow. For it to be, you know, Oprah-level influence that that becomes the norm, that it's no longer a cultural conversation about how hard am I working and how much am I hustling and how successful am I, where it's more about getting back to basics and getting back to the important things in life first and recognizing that we are worth so much more than what we do. And then looking back, you know, in addition to that, to just recognize that, or to have zero regrets really about how I chose to spend my time and investing it with, you know, in myself and with the people I love and not in working 24 <laughs> seven. And that's the beauty of it. Looking back at your life and knowing that you did everything you can to really live to the fullest. And we definitely don't want to regret that at the end, you know, and I think, yeah, that would be a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, there's some universal fears we all experience. And for a lot of us, you know, the fear of rejection, the fear of inadequacy, the fear of not knowing enough. But I think bigger than any of those things that might prevent us from doing work here in the here and now, from showing up, from serving our communities, is the fear of regret. And putting it into that perspective, right, 50 years from now, what are you looking back on wishing you had done? Do you wish you had gone on live video that day? Do you wish you had taken the action and pitched yourself for that podcast or that event? You know, whatever those things are that you're afraid of doing today, what's really the bigger fear? The thing you're afraid of doing or the regret of not doing it? Yeah, and I think most of the time it's in our heads and most people don't even notice any of the things that we're really concerned about. Yeah, it is. It's all, you know, a lot of this journey of entrepreneurship It's a journey to rediscovering yourself and who you are and recognizing the thoughts that really do go through your head and drive your behaviors and that create the results you get in your life. And that's why I'm all about diving into those deeper root causes because, you know, you can fix the surface level stuff, but it's only going to be temporary. And the issue of overworking and just hustle and grinding goes so much deeper in our culture. And so when you try to fix it with, you know, self-care and gratitude journaling, and I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. I'm just saying it doesn't get deep enough. It's like putting a Band-Aid over a gaping wound that needs stitches. And so we've got to be willing to get present to our thoughts, to our feelings, and to not avoid that, to lean in and, and utilize that and recognize they're just there to guide us. They're there to guide us in the right direction. I love that. And being uncomfortable actually makes you grow. So yes. I always think that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Courtney. If our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? I hang out on Instagram at Courtney Elmer underscore. And you can also check out the Effortless Life podcast everywhere podcasts are found. Those are the two main places. And of course, my website, CourtneyElmer.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you being here and sharing with us your incredible journey. 
Thank you, Debbie, for having me. This has been great. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Courtney. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview where she shares how to become a true effortless CEO. Hey, listeners, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Lucky for you, I have created a new site that will help you learn how to launch, grow, and monetize your own show. I offer one-on-one mentorship programs, and I'm launching an ebook, How to Create a Profitable Podcast, that can help you take your podcast from hobby to profitable business. Visit howtocreatepodcast.com to learn more. Again, that's howtocreatepodcast.com. See you there. Hey, listeners, thank you for listening to this episode, and I'm so thankful for your support. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and get suggestions on guests, topics we can discuss, and so much more. Feel free to reach out at hello at theoffbeatlife.com and let me know what you'd like to hear. If you like the show, don't forget to give us some love and review on iTunes. Thank you again for being a part of this journey, and I can't wait to hear how your location-independent story will unfold.